Last week, we started a message series on the Exodus, and uh, Micah started by recapping the story of, of God's covenant with his people. And he started with Abraham and how God made a covenant with Abraham, and that covenant then transferred to his son Isaac and then Jacob, and then on to the descendants of Jacob, who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and so we got to hear some of that story, but then it ended... You know, fast forward 400 years, it ended with the Israelites being in Egypt um, in slavery and oppression. And the Pharaoh had ordered a genocide. The Pharaoh had ordered all the baby boys to be killed as soon as they were born. And so today we pick up the story there in these very dire circumstances. Um, we begin to look at the life of Moses. And Moses is one of the big characters in the story of Exodus. And traditionally, Moses' life has been divided up into three chunks, three 40-year chunks. So you have um, the first 40 years, the second 40 years, and the last 40 years. And most of the story of Exodus is the last 40 years of Moses' life. So today, we're going to look at what we know about the first 80 years of, of Moses' life, which, to be honest, isn't a ton. It's just one one little chapter those covers those 80 years. But there's a lot in there. And, and so today I want to look at that. And I want us to look at the characters in the story and ask, what can we learn um, from these characters? And then to also remember that God is the main character in this story. And what do we learn about God? Um, I think the exciting thing about this story for me is that we see God orchestrating an incredible turn of events to make sure Moses is is where he needs to be. So let's start um, in Exodus 2. We're going to start with verse 1. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with pitch and tar. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. What an interesting story. We have, we have three women in this story, and, and each of them are brave and strong in a different way in the circumstances. So you have Moses' mother. Later on, it tells us that her name is Jochebed, kind of a, a unique name. But Moses' mom, who has this child and, and in these horrible circumstances, the Pharaoh's ordered for all the, the, the baby boys to be killed. And she does everything in her power to save her son. And she hid him for three months. Now, if you've had a newborn, you know, 
Like that is really hard to keep a child quiet and hidden away for three months.、Um, but she hid him for three months until she could no longer hide him. And so she takes a basket and she makes it waterproof with with pitch and tar. And she she places her baby in the basket and places him in the reeds in the Nile. And, and as a mom, I can't even imagine. Like just the heart-wrenching journey she must have gone on to decide to do that, but she knew that there was no way that he would live if she kept him in her in her home, and so she did everything she, she could to to save him. A little interesting tidbit:、um, the word in Hebrew used for that basket is only used one other time, and it's teva, and it、um, it means saving vessel. And the only other time it's used in scripture is when it's、um, in Moses's ark, Noah's ark. So Noah's ark and this basket—that's that's the only time that word is used. This idea of she's trying to save him in this saving, saving basket in the saving vessel. And so she places him among the reeds, and who sees him but Pharaoh's daughter? You know, coincidence. Probably not, but Pharaoh's daughter comes upon this basket, opens up the basket, and、um, she has compassion, knowing that this must be one of the Hebrew babies、um, that that is, is someone's trying to save. And Pharaoh's daughter knows her father's orders. She knows the situation in the land right now, and she defies her father's orders to and tries to save this child. And in While this is all going on, Miriam, the older sister, who's likely maybe in her pre preteen,、um, a little bit older, old enough certainly to think for herself,、um, she's been following this basket and she's been watching, and she sees an opportunity. She sees the compassion on the Pharaoh's daughter's face, and she steps up and she says, "Hey, would you like me to find someone to take care of this baby for you? Someone to nurse this baby?" And、uh, and and she says yes, and so she goes and gets Moses's mom. And in the end, here we go from you know Moses's mom trying to figure out what to do to save her child to the Pharaoh's daughter is paying her to take care of her son. And and so we see this this miraculous turn of events. And then when Moses has been weaned, likely around three or four years old,、um, Moses' mom takes him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he becomes her adopted son. She names him names him Moses, which means I drew him out of the water. And and I I would think that that would always remind him of where where he came from. So I love this story because you see these three different women and how they responded in different ways, young and old. So you know, Miriam was a very young woman, and they they took action in very dire circumstances. When they when they were faced with injustice, they did something about it. And in today's culture, in today's society, often when when you hear someone say, you know, you need to stand up for justice, you need to. Take action when you see injustice. Often we would equate that, or I would say a lot of people would equate that with, you know, posting something on social media, posting your opinion on social media, and maybe even defending it on social media. And often, as we defend 
our opinion. Um, it's in these black and white terms and very polarized language with people who we don't really know and who we probably won't have a meaningful conversation with after after this. Um, now, I'm not here how to tell you, you know, how to do your social media. You, you are welcome to do whatever you want on social media. Um, and I know that standing up for injustices, part of that is naming injustice. However, I, I do see in this story, I want to point out that these women did much more than just state that what was going on was wrong. They did much more and just say, hey, this is wrong, this is unjust. What, what they did is they took action in a very tangible and physical way. They provided food, they provided clothing, they provided shelter for um, this baby who, who was, was um, Pharaoh was trying to kill. And so I, I feel like there's a lesson in there for us. I believe that as followers of Jesus, we're called to love our neighbors, and we're called to love them with words, but we're also called to love them with actions. And, and like uh, Moses' mom, to ask ourselves when, when we're encountering someone and there's injustice involved, to ask ourselves, you know, how can I help this person whom I, I'm in contact with? What can I do to make their life better right now? Or like Miriam, um, who was so young at the time, but when you see an opportunity to, to take the risk to step up and to say, hey, um, I, let's see if we could, could try to come up with solutions. Let's let's work. Let's go this way. Or like Pharaoh's daughter, whose father had made this decree. She allowed her compassion for humanity, um, her her value for life, to take priority over the cultural norm of that time and over the government orders when there was injustice. You know, sometimes I. I look at some of the stuff going on in our nation and some of the stuff going on in our world, and I feel a little bit overwhelmed by it all, to be real honest. And I'm like, wow, this is just so big. And, and I'm reminded in this story that God is not asking me to solve all the world's problems. He's not asking us to fix it all. But what he is asking us is to show a real and tangible compassion and love to the specific people that we encounter. And so today, as I read through this story, I'd like us to think about that. How do we do that? Who are the people in our lives that we can show compassion to, that we can show love to? And we see through also through this incredible turn of events that God is the main character here working through the women that God is working through the women to place Moses in Pharaoh's household and to grow up as his grandson. We don't know a whole bunch about Moses' childhood there in Pharaoh's household. Um, in Acts 7, Stephen gives a, a speech about, about the history of the Israelites, and he says this about Moses in Acts 7, 22. He says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So we know he was, he was educated, he was trained, um, and I can imagine his childhood, a prince of Egypt, living in Pharaoh's palace, um, very wealthy. He, he was treated like royalty, and yet he also knew that he was a Hebrew. 
He knew his mother had given him up to save him. He knew that the Pharaoh he served had ordered the genocide that should have killed him. I imagine him as an adolescent. I mean, we all go through that awkward phase. And, and I think, oh my gosh, he had ample reason to just be all mixed up through adolescence, just to have um, an identity crisis, trying to figure out, like, who am I? What am I doing here? Um, I know for myself, I grew up on the mission field. A lot of you know that. And I had a lot of questions about my identity growing up because I had a lot of extra, extra things to confuse me as an adolescent. Um, you know, for one, I w- me and my siblings were the only white kids um, and just for hundreds of miles around. And I worked so hard to blend in. Okay, it's really hard to blend in when you're the only white kid for hundreds of miles around. Um, so here you see me and my sister were holding little guinea pigs. We had little guinea pig pets for a while. And then over here you see here my brother, John Mark. This was the day he got his brand new canoe. You know, we went out and picked out the tree and they, they carved it out. And I remember you can tell by, you know, how I'm dressed there. Just trying so hard to fit in. But I always stuck out, you know? I couldn't, I couldn't quite be one with my friends. And I was always treated differently. Sometimes I was treated better than my friends, and sometimes I was treated worse than my friends. So I, I worked hard at it, but I didn't quite fit in in Africa. And then I came to the United States. I'm like, perfect, I'm coming home. I did not fit in in the United States. I came to college never having lived in the United States, and um, I, I felt like a foreign country to me. It, it's taken years to understand some of the idioms that comes out of Micah's mouth. Like, I have no idea sometimes what he's saying. <laughs> idioms. <laughs> Um, but I remember that feeling of being caught in between two worlds and being caught in between two cultures and not quite knowing who I was, what I was doing, where I belonged. And I wonder in this story if that's how Moses felt. Caught in between the Hebrews and the Egyptians, trying to figure out where his place was. So the story goes on. Um, In chapter 2, verse 11, one day after Moses had grown up, and in Acts it it indicates that that he's about 40 years old, so he had fully grown up. Uh, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Again, it uses that phrase twice, like he's identifying with the Hebrews. Looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he kills the Egyptian and hides him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. You know, sometimes people want to make Moses out to be um, a real hero 
in this story. And, and I don't want to diminish what he did, what he does later on in the story. However, the, the reality of this section of the story is that he's no hero here. Um, he becomes enraged he, and, and violent when he, he takes matters into his own hands. And when he sees violence and oppression, he responds with more violence. And, and he thinks he's doing all this in secret. And then it becomes known. And then he's in big trouble. And he's forced to flee. And when he flees at this point, his life is just a mess. He, he recognizes that his actions have consequences, and they've caught up to him. And so what becomes of Moses? The story continues, and, and as it talks about Moses fleeing from Pharaoh to Midian, and he comes to a well where he finds seven of Jethro's uh, daughters, and they're, they're taking care of their father's sheep, but they're being harassed by other shepherds who, who won't let them use the well. And so Moses comes and sees, again, injustice in a different way, but he sees it, and he comes to their rescue. Um, thankfully, this time there's, there's great improvement. He does it without killing anyone, so that's good. And uh, he helps them water, water their flock. Moses ends up staying in Midian, and he stays with Jethro, and he marries Zippor, one of his daughters. And then Zippor has a son, and Moses names him Gershom. And Gershom means foreigner or, or, or residing in a foreign land. And he says, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And I wonder if some way that was comforting to him to finally state, hey, I'm a foreigner and, and I'm in a foreign land, and I'm not trying to pretend to be anything else. I wonder if that, and, and that's just speculation, but I wonder if that really helped him in his sense of, of who he was. And Moses spends 40 years in Midian, in the wilderness, tending to his father-in-law's flock. And, and Scripture doesn't tell us, again, much about this time, but um, we know what it's like to, to, to be a shepherd. And it was a very mundane, repetitive um, sort, of, sort of thing. You take the flock into the desert and you find good grazing. And then when the good grazing has gone, you take them somewhere else. So it's a lot of solitude time. It's a lot of wandering around the desert. And I wonder how much self-reflection Moses did during that time. I, I really believe as evidence later on in the story, that as Moses was tending to the sheep, God was tending to Moses. So again, God is the main character here in this story. And I wonder, how is God shaping Moses in, in the desert? I wonder if, if he was softening his heart. I wonder if he was leading Moses into deeper relationship with him. On, a, on a, just a little side note, Jethro is called a priest of Midian, and his other name, his second name, is Raul, which means friend of God. So it's very likely that Moses married into a God-fearing, loving family, and this was a place of development for him. It's interesting to see how, despite Moses' faults, God ha was uniquely equipping him to lead his people out of Egypt. 
So he was a Hebrew, raised in the Pharaoh's house. He knew both cultures. He knew both languages. And now he was learning how to live in the wilderness, which is where Moses would lead the Israelites uh, to once they left Egypt. So looking at this story, I want to ask us, who do, who do you resonate with in this story? Who do you resonate with? Do you, do you resonate with one of the women in the stories, Moses' mom or sister or, or Pharaoh's daughter who took action in the face of injustice? Maybe right now in our lives, um, somewhere in our, our workplaces or in schools or in just in our relationships, we're, we're witnessing injustice. And maybe God is calling us in some way to take action. And it might look different for different ones of us in different situations. But maybe that's where we resonate today. Or maybe we resonate more with Moses. And I know the specifics aren't going to be similar, aren't going to be the same. But the idea that Moses had this roller coaster of a life. Uh, he was born into poverty and oppression. He's invited into affluence and power as the adopted son of the Pharaoh's daughter. And then his, his anger and his bad decisions lead to severe consequences. And, and now he's in this in-between time, this 40 years in the wilderness where it's in between the turbulent past and, and, and a possible future calling from God. And, and he's just there. Maybe you resonate a little bit with that feeling of being in the in-between wilderness right now. You know, Moses was no hero. He was an ordinary guy with baggage. <laughs> he was an or- ordinary guy who, who had parts of him that were a mess, just like all of us. Um, and if we ended the story right there, it'd be a little bit, a little bit depressing. But but we don't end the story there. The, the extraordinary thing about Moses is that God is working in extraordinary ways in his life. And, and that's what ma- makes God the main character of this story. Um, if you haven't read Exodus yet, you know, spoiler alert, next week, this is the guy God chooses to lead his people out. This broken guy with all this baggage, this is the guy God chooses and calls on this journey. And he'll do some kicking and screaming. I think we all would. But this is him. And so for, for us and for me, for, for when I look at this story and I think of application, what really stands out to me is that this story gives me hope that I don't have to have it all together to be used by God. I don't have to come from some stellar background or live in wonderful circumstances to be used by God. Rather, God uses ordinary, broken people to carry out his extraordinary work. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be some superhero Christian. We just have to be available and willing to go on that journey with God. God is working around us. He's working very powerfully, and he's working very faithfully, both in our lives and in our mess, in our strengths, and he's working in the lives of other people around us. He's working in our community. And, and God invites us to join him where he's working. As, as strong and as messy as we may be, he invites all of us to join us, to be used by him. And, 
and specifically to show compassion and love in very tangible ways to the people around us. So, so today I'd like us to ask ourselves, are we willing? Are we willing to open ourselves up to God with our strengths and our mess and say, okay, God, where to next? Where do you want me? What do you want me to do? Will you work extraordinary things through me? Because he's not calling us to do extraordinary things, but he's calling us to be open and say, will you work big and powerful things through me and around me? God is the main character still of this story, of our story, of the story of the world. And he will bring about amazing things. And he's asking us to join him. Will we? As we end today, I'd like to invite you to say a prayer with me. And, and I've said this prayer before in the past, and it's a prayer that I come back to because I really like it, but I thought it was really pertinent to today. It's uh, a prayer of peace written by St. Francis of Assisi, and it's all about opening ourselves up to God, allowing God to use us wherever we're at. So if you'd like to say this prayer with me, I invite you to stand as we read it together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great week.